0: Hello and welcome to Access Chat. Uh, we're delighted to welcome Jessica McKay, Anthony Vasquez, and Erica Braverman from Nobility today's chat. So uh, we've previously interviewed internet accessibility legend Sharon Rush, founder of Nobility, and and talked about AIR, which is the Accessible Internet Rally that, that Nobility run on a yearly basis to to help. Uh, Match up people that that need accessible websites and people with accessibility skills, so that uh, so that we can help um, spread the love. Um, but today we're going to be um, talking around topics around actually usability and how can we make usability accessible and accessibility usable. So. Um, Welcome all, do you want to give us a, a quick introduction to yourselves, that, that that's be great. So if I may start with you, Anthony, I'll pick on you first.
1: Hello there, my name is Anthony Vasquez, as you've already known. Um, I'm a communication specialist with Nobility. And so what that entails really, I work on a lot of our social media marketing, our Twitter accounts, a little bit of LinkedIn, our newsletter. Um, I am blind, so I do use a screen reader every day. Charles on my PC, voiceover on my iPhone, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear from you all and hear your questions and share what we have to share about usability and accessibility. Thank you for having us on.
2: Who's next? go next. Uh, I am Jessica McKay, I'm the Director of Community Programs for nobility. so uh, in addition to our Accessibility Internet Rally, AIR, uh, I also manage, oversee um, some of our other programs such as our AccessU Conference, uh, AccessWorks, our K-12 digital accessibility services, um, and other events that we have in right. and
3: I'm, so. I'm Erica Braverman. Um, I'm a community engagement specialist here at Nobility. Uh, we're very excited to be here as part of the chat. Uh, we're thrilled that you've uh, asked us to join you today, and I um, work a lot with our community events. So bringing accessibility to the larger community, both people who are technical and that is technical. And then I also manage our access works program, which centers on usability studying, uh, studies, um, where we have participants with disabilities using different assistive technology, uh, giving their feedback on pieces of the internet.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So thank you. Um, obviously, we talk a lot about accessibility here, been doing it for years, and it's also you know, our day jobs. But, but it's also something that we recognise you can be technically accessible without being usable. Um, and that those technical accessibility requirements that focus on interoperability with, with assistive tech and as an assistive tech user, Anthony, what are some of the usability issues that you find? So not, not technical accessibility issues, but usability issues that you that you commonly come across um, when you're working with websites and apps, et cetera.
1: I'd say just sometimes forms in general ask for more information than really is necessary. I always find a good example is like when you're filling out an address and they're asking for your city and then either your state or county or whatever, and then your postal code. I always wonder, like, and I've read an article about this an argument being made, like just ask for the postal code and avoid, for example, the state. It I think it speeds things up. Um, it makes the process of buying things or signing up for things just a little faster, I'd say. Uh, sometimes, I mean, it's a big debate kind of for ARIA, the Accessible Rich Internet Applications kind of specification falls in and whether too much ARIA, too much uh, speech by the screen reader, too much info is is kind of a deterrent to getting things done. So I'd say those kind of might be it right now, just needlessly complicated forms, complex forms, and a bit of too much ARIA kind of detracts from the experience um, I guess I would add on the mobile side, you know, iOS has the rotor as a feature that lets you kind of almost like when you would do on a desktop with you know, the right click, for example, to get more options on a certain element. Sometimes some apps require multiple swipes just to get through one part of a screen, for example, where it might be better served by taking advantage again of the iOS rotor. And that's something that, again, developers need to implement to get that. To work of course and um yeah i'd say that again it w- it's accessible without that extra functionality but it's a lot more usable with it so that's kind of where i would start kind of just there
0: excellent thank you so so i think that that, that those are sort of some of the things that, that we often forget you know it's every, we frequently see that where people are new to accessibility they will um they will c- come along and they will aria everything <laughs> apply aria to, to pretty much everything aria all the things was the meme so um so yeah i mean that and, and of course non-screen reader users don't necessarily appreciate the you know, the the verbosity of of screen readers and how you know presenting you with too much information can be a real challenge so coming to to you erica i mean what are some of the common usability issues that 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 you encounter and and, and and yeah where where are they overlapping because some of them are not as we mentioned covered by interoperability or the standards but but are there things that you commonly hit time and time again
3: yeah um i would say a really big one that i see come up pretty frequently and this is something that doesn't really show up when you're um, running a testing tool on your site is things that give information. And that could be something like uh, a big wall of text. It's very difficult for users with cognitive disabilities or, you know, people in a hurry or people who have a lot on their mind to take away meaningful information from that. Or, um, links that don't give a good description of where they're going to go, that can be a usability issue for, uh, certainly for people who are are looking for, um, you know, information in a screen reader link list that pulls out all the links on the page, but also people um, with cognitive disabilities who need clear instruction on where they're going to go or people who are magnifying the screen and, and don't necessarily have text around the link to say what that's for um or also you know um people who are unfamiliar with the topic in general can benefit from clear menus and links and things to tell you where you're going to go um also i think as we do more of our shopping online and we're buying more specialized products online um avoiding jargon you know you don't want to if you're new to buying a lawnmower, it's an example from my own life. We we I'm I'm terrible with buying, you know, yard work appliances. I don't know much about them. So if you throw all these terms at me that I don't understand, I'm not going to have a great usable experience buying a lawnmower. Um, and and this can can double or triple for users with disabilities who um, might be using assistive technology to pull information from the page or might need more cognitive support.
4: Which is very, very, very powerful uh, points. I know that uh, when I first got into this field in, wow, uh, the beginning of 2000, uh, we we weren't really addressing usability at all. And so I was, um, our team at Tech Access, what we were doing is, when we came to how do we include people like my daughter, who was born with Down syndrome, people with intellectual disabilities. How do you include them when the accessibility isn't addressing them? And so we're like, oh, well, you do that with usability. So I just think it continues to be a very important topic. And I know that I was involved early on with the Cognitive Task Force of W3C. I think Neil is still involved, and I believe NoAbility has been involved with that as well, because it's a really, really, really big conversation. So um, I, I want to go to you, Jay, and um, we, we appreciate you, you know, recommending to come on the show and bringing on Erica and Anthony too. So um, thank you so much for that. We appreciate what Nobility does, but y'all had mentioned before we got on air about how important in marketing what the Ericas and the Anthonys are doing. Because the reality is a lot of people are just talking about these conversations just from accessibility, not from usability, and not from the use of how does somebody with assistive technology really use that assistive technology to make something accessible and usable. I love the question Neil asked Anthony earlier, because I think we always forget to ask that question. What are you finding that maybe is accessible but not usable? So I thought that was a great question, but over to you, Jay.
2: Oh, oh, what, what am I finding that's usable or accessible, but no, not no, useful? No, no. Oh. I, I,
4: sorry. I said that wrong, but what I was wondering is how do you tell as a communications director, how do you tell the Eric and Anthony's stories and help people understand the complexity of these issues? Because that's what I think a lot of people don't understand is the complexity and the nuances of it.
2: Sure. Um, and, and, um, we actually have our, our communications director, uh, Mariella, who's great at forming those stories. Um, but I think that's really what it's about is putting faces and names to those experiences. It's really easy for us, I think, to look at something like, you know, guidelines and checklists and just kind of tick them off. Uh, but when we can actually tie it to users and how they experience those, um, you know, those guidelines and those checklists. I think really does put it into a different perspective. Um, I know for right now with our AIR event going on, we actually were able to provide our teams with usability testers this year. Uh, It was something we were really excited about. Um, A lot of our teams this year are independent individuals that just came together to work together. They're not working for companies that are hiring usability testers. So they don't have that experience of actually what does a usability test look like what is a user actually doing with this website i created so i think putting faces names stories to those actual experiences uh, really does help kind of solidify the need for accessibility but at the same time really making sure yeah you put all that accessibility in but is it is it usable can i actually get to what i need to even though you say you've made it accessible
5: so um, on that note um, we 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 know that you know, over over the last couple of years there's been a growth interest uh, on on accessibility for, for many reasons uh, sometimes close associated with the diversity agenda. So there's many organisations all of all over the place. Oh, we need to make our website accessible, and, and I mean really just accessible. But sometimes that brings us to many traps because you know okay. Now it's compliant, but in the end is not usable. So, to organizations and to leaders out there who are looking at, you know, finding their way through accessibility, how would they? What are the best advice to avoid such traps?
2: I'll go ahead, and then if if um if Anthony or Erica, if you feel like I I've, I've forgotten something, um this is a conversation we've had a lot uh the past couple of years when because like you said companies are now looking at diversity equity and inclusion and th- so they say okay a lot of times they're doing the DEI and forgetting accessibility as part of it or they're saying oh accessibility is part of it but I think they're missing some of actually how to be inclusive and how to really cr- create the equity. Um, you know, really looking at the language that they're using, you know, what audiences are they trying to connect with and, and making sure that they can make those connections appropriately and, and, and from an authentic and honest place. Um, so I think it's really making sure that they're looking at it from all angles and not just saying, oh, accessibility is covering our DEI campaign. We want to make sure that we're really looking at those other letters and those other aspects of, you know, creating those welcoming spaces.
1: I guess what I would add to that, again, is it's probably been said so many times, but again, incorporating, or you know, hiring, contracting with, you know, bringing people with disabilities into the work. So if a firm doesn't have disabled people on staff, why not? And, um, you know, short of that, you know, if you're going to be testing if you're recruiting for usability testing focus groups include people with disabilities as part of that. Uh, and it's, it, I would recommend, you know, a wide range, uh, a group of that, you know, of people with a wide range of experiences, not just your power user who's been using a screen reader for 20 years, not someone who grew up, you know, reading captions, but also someone who just became disabled. How do they interact with this app? Me, as, we more, move, as we move more and more towards mobile apps on phones, on watches, you know, how do people actually use these things? And it's a cliche, right? But it's to bring people in. It's, it's the often said, like nothing about us without us uh, mantra, I think is really important because you're not going to get people's real experiences unless you ask them about it. Um, and again, usability encompasses accessibility, but often again, accessibility is not in the discussions. Maybe it's superficial. I was talking to a gentleman once for a platform I used for my university work as a lecturer and he like sounded very confident that this platform was AAA, you know, WCAG AAA. I was like, well, it's probably not even AA. Right. So again, but people just sometimes speak these things without knowing. And I think the best way to know more is by bringing people in who have experienced this stuff every day.
3: I would also like to add that it's so important that, um, However, you're you're bringing people with disabilities into your organization or your design process or testing, um, you know, be be very intentional in how you're recognizing and valuing the work and contributions that the the people you bring in are making or the people that you're hoping to bring in. Um, Will make, you know, um, compensation for usability testers and people doing design work and ideation with you, um, and believing stories, you know, sitting back and and letting people express where they're coming from and what their technology is doing, and and giving uh, people with disabilities equal time and um, equal space in the conversation. And uh, recognizing that, you know, when people come in using assistive technology, that that is really a learned skill. And it takes years of practice and uh, learning and and trial and error and figuring out the tips and tricks and techniques that might change year over year as as the version changes of the tool. Um, And and that is something that... um, you know, really has to be recognized for, for a high level of technique.
0: So, 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 you know, picking up on those points and, and the points that that Anthony made, I think this is this is this is really where user testing comes into into its own because a lot of people that are professionally engaged in accessibility or who are engaged regularly by you know people wanting to make stuff accessible are those power users and and so stuff gets through the gate because those power users know all of the settings and 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 know how to compensate for some of the quirks in, uh and so on and, and and i've had this where you know former colleagues of mine have been you know jaws power users and gone well yes okay it's not technically compliant but I can use it and therefore it's not inaccessible And, and 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 yet actually it's still unusable for people that aren't you know power users how do you what kind of advice would you all have for people to try and develop things that both have a satisfying experience for power users and at the same time don't become unduly complex for those people who are probably the vast majority that that use assistive tech, but but use the the core features. you know, I, I I'm a speech recognition user. I do know quite a bit about the sort of underlying features of of dragon, for example, but I don't use them regularly. So, you know my my dictation, my correction, and you know some of my navigation by speech are fine, but the you know uh, the the more complex features the all of these kind of things, I'm rusty at, and I'm clunky with, and I wouldn't necessarily um, find my way around a website if I was using my voice in the in the same way that a power user would. And so how do you advise people? where to strike that balance or how to build in that that flexibility to give both sets of users a good experience. Mm-hmm.
1: So I imagine Eric or Jay have something to uh, add with that. Uh, but first, I just want to kind of make the point that we should move away from focusing on only JAWS as a screen reader mm-hmm. uh, for many reasons. One, it's very expensive, right? And so unless your government gives it to you, your employer, you buy it, which again. What is it? I mean, the prices vary, but at one point it was like a thousand US um, dollars just to get that. And so for a company to say, well, our product works with JAWS. Now you're adding the extra barrier that you have to have this program. Now, maybe 15 years ago, JAWS was it, right? Now moving into, of course, in Windows, you've got NVDA, you've got Narrator. Um, I always try to make it a point to test something with NVDA because I think it's probably the most popular that's probably most, most popular screen reader on Windows in the world now, right? And so, making sure that it works with MVDA, it will most likely also work with JAWS. Very unlikely that it wouldn't. Same goes now for testing with the built-in screen readers on Mac. On you know, well, the only one, VoiceOver. But again, I think bringing the focus away from JAWS helps. I think people be more encouraged to test. It's no longer a financial thing to to that you have to buy the screen reader even just to get started. Uh, yeah, that's what I would just chime in about that, but I'll let uh, Jay and Erica kind of add to that and focus more on your question now. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I know for for me, when, um, uh, when I would work as an assistive technology specialist um, – you know, it was always about those built-in features because that's what people had on hand. So I think making sure um, if you are looking at at your usability features and how people are gonna navigate, um, a lot of times, especially with new users, they're probably gonna start with what's in their hand or what's currently available to them without having to purchase, um, you know, extra things, without having to make extra downloads. So, you know, looking at, you know, if you're on a Mac, what your voiceover doing when you're on Windows? Um, you know those accessibility features that are built into the system. That's usually where I see most people, um, especially if they're they're brand new users. They don't really have anybody to to guide them yet. They just kind of go with the first things they find. And if they find it on their computer as a built-in, that's what they're going to start with.
3: I would say if you are in the accessibility field and you're meeting power users and power users and power users, you know, you might just have to get out and pound the pavement a little bit, you know, talk to some of those power users and say, hey, this is what I really want to know. You know, I, I know you're really experienced, but like, I'm wondering about this. And, you know, people might start to, to bring into the conversation, you know, oh, well, when I started first using my assistive technology. You know, this is something I ran into all the time, or I I learned how to do this five years into the experience. I didn't know this from the beginning, or they might be able to, to help you make connections with their wider community. You know, maybe they're maybe they're part of their local NFB chapter and they they'll say, Oh, you know what? Um, if you bring in, and again going back to you know valuing the contribution, I can introduce you to some of the people in our mentorship group. You know, people who are who are new to assistive technology, and um, you know, why don't you talk to them? So don't be afraid to say, hey, you know, I'm I'm at a loss. I'm wondering how this piece of technology is going to be different for people with different experience levels, and and I'm asking, you know. You know, for some help with this, I wanna, I wanna know what y'all think.
4: Well said, Erica. Well said. And I want to go back to something Anthony was talking about because I just thought it was a very, very important point. Um, I agree that focusing in on just one type of assistive technology, especially the most expensive one in the class, um, and not always the most preferred one by the users. It seems like we should consider what the users like to use. But at the same time, access to assistive technology and the right assistive technology, getting them the right assistive technology. Because sometimes the right assistive technology, just for example, using NVDA as an example, Not all employers want you to put open source on their, you know, on their systems. And it's really a shame because NVDA is uh, recognized, you know, as a wonderful screen reader, but it's just something that sometimes employees don't get the choice. And I remember early in on the conversation or a few years ago um, that there, not it was like almost 10 years ago, there were corporations and some government agencies in the United States that were actually going online and saying in their accessibility section that we prefer you to use JAWS and they were naming assistive technology products. And I went to the ones that I was working with and said, stop it. That is not your place to decide what assistive technology we use. Your job is to be accessible. That's your job. And of course, usable. You want your customers to use your... um, And so uh, the assistive technology continues to be a really... um, uh, robust conversation, and there's some uh, interesting things that I heard yesterday, which we can't talk about, but of something that's happening with assistive technology globally that I think will help. But there are some people that believe that if an accessible, if a website is fully accessible, we don't need ex- assistive technology, which always confuses me. How, right? I see Erica making a face right now. <laughs> I'm saying that, but I'm just curious. The Antonio, maybe you can answer that question so as long as my website is fully accessible you don't need assistive technology right I am being sarcastic but please answer <laughs>
1: yeah no I would and I would back to your point about JAWS yeah I mean I use it every day so it's it's again I'm, I've been lucky to have trained on it and there's so many you know so much powerful functionality still with scripting and and just you know fine tune. I'm, I'm very detail-oriented so I like to know kind of everything and So far, I mean, JAWS just does it for me, but again, to force people into it, I get sometimes employers want that uh, security of having someone to go to if the program crashes or whatever, not just open source, this ambiguous group on the web. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's still, I think people are misinterpreting even what assistive, some of the people pitching these ideas are misinterpreting what assistive technology does. So a lot, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a news junkie, I teach journalism, so I read news articles all the time. And I've come across now a lot of these that have like a listen button. And it's, you know, it plays the article, sometimes a voice actor, which is kind of fun, but sometimes it's just synthetic speech. But even that is not an accessible alternative. I like to know how words were spelled. I like to know how sentences were structured, either for me, it's just for not only just for pleasure, but if I'm analyzing something, I can't just go by how someone reads something and say that's grammatically correct and spelled it right or anything like that. And so that's just one example again where I think people feel that, oh, now folks can listen to my news article. We're accessible. Well, no, it's it's fun. It's a neat touch. But the actual news article should still be presented as paragraphs and headings and. Um,
4: powerful point. And are yeah, you aren't all you
1: text and images?
4: Usability is, again? What did, yeah. You just went into usability again.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can describe, I mean, I don't think any of the narrator articles I've come across describe what images are supplied in the article, whereas a good article with good alt text for that image and a good caption so that sighted people can also read that, that's all usability, I'd say. And again, I think I'd say it's it's more about higher-ups and organizations misinterpret, oh, we have the listen button, we're good. Well, no, it's not even about the listen button, (laughs) Right
4: great points I know Antonio had a question so Antonio uh,
5: yes I would like to know uh, Erica and Anthony you know you take care of uh, community engagement and communications. So I th- I think it would be very useful uh, to tell uh, our audience some of your experience making content accessible, particularly on the social media channels. Because I think that's something that everyone is struggling today. Some platforms are better than others. You know, uh, they are tools who are not, uh, who don't have the the stamp of accessibility, but they actually help us to make content accessible. uh, And sometimes they get a little bit out of the radar. Can you share that experience
1: with us, please? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, uh, for, you know, the, with the rise of video content, that's made the process a little bit longer, but again, all towards making it accessible. We've started now including transcripts for our videos, whether they're like short, shorter videos, a couple of minutes long or in an hour long discussion. And of course, if you share short videos on Twitter, you can upload them. And now you can actually upload a caption file. But still, you cannot include a, a transcript. It, it just wouldn't fit in the tweet. So we've been now just linking to what well, we're actually kind of ongoing here, creating a section on our website to create uh, that would just be full of our transcripts. Anybody who wants to read the transcript of X video can can link to it either from our Twitter. And you know that will also separate our transcripts from other content from our blog, for example. So I'd say that's kind of one of my learning... Um, experiences this year is kind of uh, as we're moving more towards video uh it's all great to share online on all the platforms Uh, some of them don't allow you to bring in the captions yet Um, but uh linking to a transcript it's it's accessible that way for people who are deafblind too who can appreciate the content without having you know with you know given that they won't be able to listen to it or hear it but we've got a transcript you can read it on your braille display um and But well, that is an ongoing process, but that's kind of what we're working on. That's, I say, the newest thing that I, I guess I didn't, I kind of underestimated the rise of video and how influential video is, and it's, it's everywhere.
3: <laughs> and I would say, you know, Anthony is someone with far more patience with social media than I have and probably ever will. Um, I have a hard time, you know, as I learn more about accessibility, try and add best practices. Um, you know, things like instead of just pasting a link in, can I make the link into text that says what the link is so it doesn't come up in the screen reader as a bunch of letters and numbers? Frequently, and this is being brutally honest here, frequently I will get fed up, get off of the social media and send the whole thing as an email instead because I know I can get it to work. So um you know, not not that I am an earth-shattering influencer or anyone who who is on social media a lot, but you know, I think that's it's important to consider is that if if information can't be displayed accessibly on social media, eventually it's going to get off the social media if as people become more intentional about reaching people with disabilities, and. So I mean, it really is, and in, in everyone's best interest to come up with those style guides, or you know, make your social media platform accessible and um, and usable. And um, I mean that that would get me onto social media, maybe.
2: <laughs> but I, I get so fed up. I I just it's an email. Yeah. We're well, and. And I, I think you bring up a good point in terms of, you know, companies that want to market and reach out through social media. Mm-hmm. Um, they may, instead of, um, you know, putting something that really is truly accessible on social media, maybe mm-hmm. they'll post whatever they intended to be it that video or, you know, an image. Uh, and instead of actually trying to figure out how do I add the caption, how can I link them to the transcript? Um, they'll just try to pass off to, you know, we'll go to this website to go check out our stuff, but that's really not letting those people with disabilities experience the content a, the way they intended for everybody to experience, but it's it's really you know kind of keeping that segregation and isolation, and and that's really not what you want in social media, right? That's kind of one of the brilliant things about social media is having all these different people being able to interact and engage, in real time, um, and sharing those experiences. So I agree, you know, the the more that platforms can do to make it easier without having to you know dive in and make sure I've turned on my alt text settings so that I can add them to my my images. Um, you know, that that makes it easier for those companies also.
0: Yeah. And and uh, the platforms aren't making it that that easy. But we have to give kudos to YouTube this week because they've added in, um, in, you know, they've added in a separate audio channel now. So you can audio describe video. So that's a that's a step forwards. Right. Because that, then, you know, audio description, adding those audio tracks has been really, really difficult. You know, and, and even
1: beyond that, yeah sorry even beyond that i mean the the back end for youtube studio is actually pretty accessible and again i'm always surprised when that happens <laughs> that you can upload your transcript you can you can have it you know it syncs up the the speech with like the transcript it's quite good and all that so far has seemed pretty accessible uh, so again as a producer of content it's quite nice to know that, that is one platform i can i can go to and expect a reasonable level of, of of support there yeah
0: but but I, I i i absolutely take erica's point about the you know the 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 balance of the effort that you have to make to on certain platforms to make stuff accessible and this has been a, a constant dilemma is that um essentially you have platforms with audiences uh and where you can engage people on a topic but you're going to exclude some people and then you have other platforms that are more exclusive, but then they don't have the audiences. So, so there's this constant sort of pull between the, you know, uh, and there's no right or wrong answer, but where do I post? Where, how, which channel do I do this? Because, you know, you're excluding someone through, through either them not being on your email list or it not being public, uh, you know, because it's not public um, or, you know you're you're doing stuff on a channel that doesn't allow you to be fully accessible or makes it really difficult for you to be accessible because that's the I guess that's the other piece right is the usability of accessibility features right how usable is it that um, image description is hidden in Twitter right that you have to go deep into the settings to turn it on how usable is it to to um, to do the image descriptions in LinkedIn or other platforms. You know, take, for example, Instagram, right? Very visual medium. To a certain extent, people were describing their images when they were posting their Instagram posts, but now you do have the option to add uh, alt text as well, but you go through all of these extra steps. So what are maybe some of the usability improvements that you you could foresee In the actual content creation process how can the people that make platforms make being accessible creating accessible content more usable
1: watch i've been uh, briefly i'd say and it goes back to again it goes back to kind of accessibility testing but make sure your platform can be used with a keyboard that it doesn't rely on drag and drop only because if that's the case you're going to be out of luck with not just blind and low vision people, but a lot of other people with disabilities. Um, an example there, you know, we didn't touch about it much, but newsletter platforms, we've gone through many, many, trying to find a viable alternative uh, for me <laughs> to, to start doing more creation. And we have not found anything good. It's some come close, but there's always, it seems there's reliance on drag and drop and that's just not gonna work. So I'd say that'd be the first again it's it's the ultimate I think it's been talked about years ago you know, unplug your mouse and don't use your touchpad and let's see how you can get this task done mm-hmm. yeah
3: and I think another thing that would really take accessibility, especially in social media a long way, you know besides bringing those features to the forefront and making them easy to find and use, tell people what they're for. you know I'm not going to. You know, I've already talked about me in social media, but I'm not going to try something new unless I know why. And I think if people understand that what they're doing is, is the kind and courteous thing to do, and it makes their content available to everyone, to people with disabilities, to people using assistive technology then they're going to want to make that um, not just a one-time occurrence, but a practice. So I think if, if these platforms started to really talk about, and it's good for them too, you know, hey, we've put this here to help you make your content accessible to people who are blind and reading all the content on the page, you know, everyone's gonna wanna do that.
0: Yeah.
2: And just real, real fast, um, I think another way to do that is, you know, we have so many influencers out there, like, how do we start getting them to do it? Because I think once you start having all these people that are people, you know, they've got their YouTube videos, they've got Twitch going on, you know, their Instagram posts, I think when you start seeing all these people with millions of followers inputting and doing these things and talking about it. So I think trying to find a way to really make sure that they understand, look how many more people you could be reaching, how many more people can engage with your content when you do it this way, and then for them to speak out to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good points. So uh, we're rapidly coming to the end of our time here. So I need to thank our place access Microlink and and MyClearText for helping keep us on air and going and captioned and all the rest of it. So thank you, Jessica, Anthony, and Erica for joining us today. We look very much forward to you joining us on Twitter on Tuesday.
3: Thank you so much for having us here. This was so much fun. We really enjoyed meeting you and talking with you and um, great questions, really fun to answer. And we are also looking forward to Tuesday.
1: Super. Yeah, thank you so much. I've, I've been a fan of your work for, for years. So it's quite nice to be on with you. Thank you again. Wonderful, thank you. <laughs>
2: I'm always happy to talk shop, so thank you.
3: <laughs> if anyone's gonna get me on Twitter, it's gonna be y'all, so here
4: uh-huh. I am. I think it's interesting that you're cautious of Twitter and I think it's very smart. So (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you.